Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Hello to everyone. Uh, I am Nicolas Bornovis, president of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you back to the 2024 uh, Capital Link's corporate presentation series. In this series, uh, company management highlights the company's current operations, business development, growth prospects, and sector outlook. We are pleased to have with us today the senior management of Oceanis Ecotankers, specifically Mr. Aristides Alapuzos, CEO, and Mr. Iraklis Baronis, CFO. Oceanis Ecotankers is a leading international tanker company providing seaborne transportation of crude oil and refined products. Oceanis is listed on Oslo Bores under the symbol OET and the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol ECO, E-C-O. Now, in terms of logistics, we begin with a company presentation followed by Q&A. Please note that participants can submit their questions through a Q&A button at the bottom of the screen during the webinar at any time, and your questions will be answered during the Q&A session. Before we begin the webinar, kindly note the disclaimer that uh, this discussion is strictly for informational and educational purposes and should not be relied upon. And the webinar does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities. It is not investment advice or advice of any kind. And obviously, Capital Link bears no responsibility for the content. Now, let us begin our discussion. I'd like to pass the floor to Aristides and uh, to Iraklis. Please go ahead. Thanks, Nico. It's, uh, it's great to have the opportunity uh, to participate in this. Uh, obviously, we'll be discussing uh, matters of forward-looking nature and uh, standard forward-looking disclaimers apply. Uh, Aristides will kick us off. Uh, thanks, Iraklis. Well, um, we think that OIT is the best platform for crude tanker exposure. And I want to point out five of the pitches or promises that we made during our first roadshow in 2018 and how we've fulfilled them until now. Um, the first being, we know the market and the cyclicality of the business. When we were on our first roadshow in 2018, trying to raise equity for OAT, and new building VLCCs that we, were, we had ordered were 85 million. And we found that to be an opportune time. Since then, uh, new building values today basis, the last time is around 128 to 130 million. So they're up over 50%. The Alapuzos family was and is and will remain fully aligned with every shareholder. That's something we promised and something that we believe that we've delivered as well and will continue to deliver. Uh, and another element is that one other promise that we wanted to provide investors with, let's say the best attributes of a private Greek shipping company in a public sphere. And these private uh, attributes are just operational and commercial excellence. We really think that we've performed here as well and benchmarking against our listed peers also in these webinars, we've outperformed them by 21% on the VLCCs and 41% on the Suez Massive. We believe that this is partly due to our superior and more efficient fleet, but also due to our commercial decision-making and our, the relationships we have in the market. Um, our vision in OIT was always that the profits, or most of the profits, almost all of the profits would be returned to shareholders and principally in the form of dividends. We already returned 1.1 times our initial market cap in distributions. 
And an investor who invested in our IPO, taking into account share appreciation, dividends, share buybacks, return of capital, and reinvestment of the distributions, would have had a return of over 100, of 420% today. And the fifth and final point, uh, it wasn't easy to convince investors in 2018 to support a Greek management team. So we created a very transparent structure um, and asked three of our US-based fund, we asked three of our US-based uh, investors to sit on the board who are hedge fund managers and they're still on the board today. So we're quite happy with uh, the pitches, promises we made and how we've delivered on each of the five. And moving on to slide four, again, we just cover some elements about the company. We're the youngest uh, tanker company in the market and have 100% scrubber echo fitted, scrubber fitted echo fleet. We consistently outperform our peers and our LTV today sits just below 50%. Given our commercial outperformance and the benefits from our fleet being more efficient and the market timing of our entry, we are generally comfortable with higher leverage in order to optimize shareholder returns. But as asset values have appreciated greatly since we um, bought the asset, we're very comfortable with the current leverage we have now. And in the final box on the bottom right, um, you know, our focus again is returning value to shareholders and outperforming our peers. So now I'll hand you over to Eckley for the fun part. Thanks. Um, let me first take the opportunity to go over our recent uh, changes to the capital structure. Uh, this slide does not yet reflect uh, the announcements we made quite late last night, uh, but let me just uh, give you a brief overview. Uh, back in 2023, we did a couple of refinancings, one in the summer when we did one VLCC and two sewers maxes with ABN at uh, 190 basis points over software and uh, pushing maturities to 2028. Uh, then a second transaction in October uh, with Pretty Agricole, refinancing to Suez Maxes at 185 basis points uh, over software and push maturities to 2029. So just last night, we announced three essentially transactions that we just signed. Uh, a couple kind of go together. So we have expanded the successful uh, relationship with CMB Leasing, uh, adding another sale and lease with them, Denisso Sanafi at 190 basis points over software and maturity in 2031. Uh, that's an improvement in pricing um, from current terms of approximately 50 basis points. Along with this, we negotiated with the CMBL uh, improved terms on the existing facilities, uh, improving pricing by approximately 60 bits uh, on each of the vessels. Uh, we also agreed with them to drop some heavy uh, penalties in case of primary financing, adding flexibility uh, for the future. And we also extended maturities by uh, seven quarters each to the end of 2030 for the Nisos Care and uh, March of uh, 2031 for the Nisos Mikulian. Uh, these transactions are indicative of our relationships, uh, relationships we have established with the financiers and our ability to improve uh, on aggregate terms when we identify the right opportunity. Uh, furthermore, this year we're finally approaching the milestone uh, the key marks on our capital structure uh, with the opportunity to finance our two legacy uh, least sewage maxes, that's the Milos on the top left uh, corner in the Polyagos. Uh, and we're pleased to confirm our plan now for the Milos, also announced last night, 
which is expected to close uh, next week. We have utilized the momentum of our 2023 transactions, uh, achieving pricing at 175 basis points over software and maturity in uh, 2030. The interest expense alone is uh, improved by approximately $4,000 per day for that process. Uh, we're quite pleased with the continuous steps over the last nine months of uh, improving our structure and want to continue using this momentum uh, as leverage on the discussions that we that we're having in the Polyegos, which will be due for refinancing uh, in June of this year. And this will be the second in the series of four uh, milestone transactions with the opportunity to significantly uh, improve our interest costs. Uh, moving on to slide six, uh, it's not only the nominal outperformance uh, we have achieved in our stock, uh, but our core of returning value to our shareholders is well evidenced by the latest calculations of uh, total shareholder return. And this has already alluded to those. So an IPO investor from 2018, assuming conservatively reinvesting all distributions, has received a return of over $44 per share, or over 400%. Slide seven, uh, we continue to be true to that principle of returning as much as possible to our shareholders. Uh, over the last 12 months, we have essentially distributed our entire cash flow. Uh, since having a fully delivered fleet, we have averaged a 90% payout uh, against our EPS per quarter, typically varying between 8 and 100%. Uh, just in terms on slide eight, in terms of the last reported uh, quarter, the third quarter of 2023, we have uh, achieved, we had achieved a fleet-wide time charter equivalent uh, rate of approximately $49,000 per vessel per day. And that included our two Suez Maxes uh, trading on legacy time charters. Uh, adjusted EBITDA of $45 million, uh, adjusted EBS of uh, $0.63 cents per share. Uh, cash balance took approximately $82 million, and in relation to that quarter, we distributed uh, in November 60 cents per share, which is 100% of reported EPS. So we are on track to report uh, record commercial and financial results for 2023. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we issued a commercial update. Uh, so as of the date of that release, which was uh, January 22nd, we estimate the following in terms of our TCE revenue. Uh, for the fourth quarter of 2023, our VLCC spot results stood at approximately uh, $45,000. Our spot Suez Max result uh, was approximately $52,000. Uh, and overall for the fleet, including the two Suez Maxes on time charters, we estimate approximately $45,000 per vessel per day for the quarter, not too far from our Q4 uh, guidance from back in November. Uh, in December, we took delivery uh, back of the Nisosikinos and the Nisosifnos. So with 100% spot exposure, uh, as of the date of the update, we estimate for the first quarter, 61% uh, of available uh, spot VLCC days at uh, $76,000 per day, uh, and 41% of available uh, spot Suez Max days at approximately $59,000 per day. We'll be in a position to update the market uh, further uh, at the end of the month when we report the Q4 events. Uh, next slide, number 10. Uh, if you followed our presentations in the past, you may have seen this before. 
the operating scenarios are obviously indicative, but while our market cap has, uh, has significantly increased since then, uh, given our fleet composition, spot exposure, superior commercial performance, and improving capital structure adjustments, the potential for cash flow generation is uh, astounding. I'm going to turn the slides over back to Aristides for some market updates. Thank you. Um, look, I think generally tankers have a lot of interesting tailwinds pushing us into this bull cycle. Like some are shorter term and like may impact more immediately. So others are medium term. This is this slide highlights the fact that you know all oil, most oil production growth is happening west of the Suez, while demand growth is happening east of the Suez, and it creates you know the need for longer voyages to cover these um, this growth in in uh, demand. This has been happening for a while now, as we've seen the U.S. you know increase a lot of their exports as well as Guyana and Brazil especially after the war in Ukraine started, which also dislocated the fleet and created inefficiencies in trading where Russia was efficiently trading into Europe, most of Europe's crude needs. All of a sudden, this all got displaced on voyages where three or four times the length into China or into India. And not only this, but also Europe needed to import oil from further away, farther away than, um, than Russia as well. So this dislocation in um, where growth is happening and where production growth is happening, where demand growth is happening versus production growth is very bullish on 10 miles. And uh, it's you know, impacting the Russian as well. And on the next slide, we look at a more immediate, let's say tailwind that could uh, have an impact to the market and something we're already seeing. Uh, the issues by the Houthis in Yemen, initially it impacted, you know, the container, the LNG, like where you saw diversions of large percentages of fleet and uh, uh, clean and crude were, you know, I think they were the last to be impacted and start really diverting on a larger scale. Today, most uh, Western owners do divert. There still are some Greeks that go through and there is a large proportion of the Russian business, whether laden coming southbound or ballast returning to load on the shadow fleet still going through. But um, this will create an immediate impact into the market as now Suez maxes are rerouting around the Cape in most cases, in all, you know, in the majority of cases. And this applies both to, let's say, Libyan or Azeri or Kazakhi or Northwest Europe crude or fuel, oil, fuel oils that are being sold from the west to the east. So, you know, it's quite efficient to load in Libya. It's two, three days to the Suez and then on to Singapore. Now, if you have to go all the way around the Cape of Good Hope, it really lengthens that voyage. The same applies if you're loading uh, in Sehan in Turkey for Azeri cruise or in the Black Sea for a Kazakh cruise or in Rotterdam or in uh, Norway. The same applies for crudes that come west into to be fed into Europe, which is principally the Basra Heavy. Um, you know, it, it's a 15, 20 day voyage into Greece or Italy or Turkey, and then it becomes a 40 day voyage, 45 day voyage if it has to go around the Cape. We had three of our ships, which were laid in, sorry, excuse me. Ah, oh, sorry. We had three ships which were laid in as this was uh, the, 
the tensions were intensifying. And we actually got then diverted around the Cape as well. And I think that this, this occurred when most of the major Western owners took the decision to go around the Cape. I think that the impact of the Red Sea on the crude market will take longer than, let's say, the clean to see the real tightening in the market. And I think we have to see the fleets rebalance before we see proper tightening, which I expect to come. We've seen some indications that it will come. Uh, but I think there's more to come as well. I mean, there's some interesting things happening. Like we're seeing that uh, instead of Suez Max's loading in the AG to come west as they were through the Suez, it's more efficient to take VLCCs west around the Cape Good Hope. So they end up loading two cargoes. Um, but overall, dislocation and shipping is bullish. And uh, I think the effects for crude, we'll, we'll see them in the next two, three weeks in terms of the freight market. Another short-term tailwind is that's the current U.S. sanctioning policy on the shadow fleet. Uh, so since the fall of last year, we've seen 25 Aftermaxes about being sanctioned by OPAC. And what the interesting thing that we've seen is that once these vessels have been placed on the SDN list, uh, they can no longer continue trading. So some are even sitting laden, some are sitting ballast, but they're all sitting. None of them are continuing their voyages. So we look at them as like temporary rules from the active fleet. Uh, this is interesting because if the US continues this policy of putting the shadow fleet on the SDN list, it's gonna force the Russian trade to do, you know, I think two things, either it'll force the gray fleet to replenish itself, which will boost asset values on one hand and also draw ships from the Western fleet into the great fleet. So it tightens the Western fleet as well, or the normal fleet. Or it'll force the, the Russian related cargoes and traders to comply with the price cap regime to replenish the loss uh, of the sanctioned ships, which is, again pulls Western ships into that trade and tightens the overall market. So, uh, you know, these are two short term things that I could, that will be very impactful on the market, uh, on freight. Now looking at a little bit more medium and long-term headwinds, in my career, which I started working in 2009, so it's mostly been poor. And I think like we've been at the condition to that with it at least. Also his history in, in offshore drilling too, so maybe even tougher than mine and just in tankers. Uh, we're in a unique position that shipyard capacity has greatly reduced in the past two decades. And currently, it's inundated with orders from high-value vessels like LNG, containers, VLGCs, car carriers. And tankers having a lower profit margin at these you know, top yards are not a priority. Um, so it's really kept the order book low, especially on the larger sized crew tankers. You know, and there's other factors as well, which is like, what is the longevity of the crew trade? And maybe more importantly, what type of propulsion fuel should be chosen? And if we're at this like cyclical expensive part of new building values, like do you want to add another 15, 20 million for some dual fuel option or methanol? Like I personally strongly believe that there's a longer future for fossil fuel because it's the cheapest and most efficient fuel source. And um, so I'm quite confident that this insecurity about ordering is actually obviously to our benefit. Um, and this has led to a historically low order book in tankers and more especially on VLCCs. I mean, everyone reads trade ones. They reported last week that like the first and only VLCC was delivered of the year. 
Um, I think another really interesting thing in the bottom left chart is that we cannot see uh, the, LCC, the order book for VLCCs materially grow until after 2028. Um, you know, when we placed these orders in 2018, we ordered eight ships at Hyundai and uh, they delivered seven within a year and one afterwards. And we had some other Greeks order at the same time as well, who had, you know, similar amounts of ships and similar delivery windows. So we, they were delivering, you know, 30, 24 ships in a year. Now um, it's much reduced because they have these other order books like LNG and containers. So the order, the forward order book is still full, limiting the amount of tankers that can be built even after 28. But then they coincide with the delivery of all the ships between 2008 and 2012 that were ordered in the previous boom. And these ships are going to have to start either be recycled or exit, let's say, the, the, the trade that we trade in, like the normal trade, and then have to go into either more gray trades or uh, cabotage trades or floating storage. Like we see the economic life of a vessel between 17 and a half and 20 years. So the good thing about even a forward order becoming in 27, 28, that you're protected by vessels turning 20 and you have all these environmental restraints and uh, regarding regulations and how the ships have to be comply with them. So we're quite bullish that uh, we're uh, well protected even going forward. Moving on to slide 14. I think for all these, these four main tailwinds we mentioned, we feel that secondhand values have a lot more upside to them. And we've compared here where we are today versus the peak cycle in the, of 2004 to 2008. But we already have excellent rate levels on a historical basis, especially since I started working for this year and last year. But I think once we make the tick up into the next level of market strength and we see you know $100,000 a day plus on VLCCs, on like a semi-sustained basis, we'll see buyers willing to pay much bigger premiums for prawn vessels. So I, I'm very confident that we'll see young vessels, you know, between the age, you know, resale up until, you know, 15 years old, increase to fill in that gap in the curve. And uh, we're in a great position as well because our fleet is 100% spot and we have full optionality to take advantage of the firm spot market or potential time charters and vessel sales but for the time being, we still feel that sales and time charters are very undervalued. And I hand you back to that, please. Great. Uh, just spending a little bit of time over uh, significant milestone in our development. Back in December, we executed the listing of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, our trading liquidity is a key consideration we have identified to improve upon. Over the last year, we have managed to steadily increase our trading volume, but it continues to be substantial room for improvement. Uh, our step in the deal listing was largely done to assist in that front, expand our investor base, uh, and achieve better access to the bigger pockets of uh, US investors. Um, looking at the trading data of the first month and a half of trading in New York, we observed some very promising signs. Uh, we already see a 50% increase in total trading volume uh, since December 11th. While a pretty good and healthy chunk of that is traded out of New York, averaging approximately 35% of total volume. This demonstrates the potential that uh, the US listing has in uh, complementing our platform for opportunities in the future. Uh, 
slide 16, and this is the final slide of the presentation. Uh, we, you know, we're we're confident that if you believe in the market fundamentals over the medium term, uh, okay, this could be the best bet for riding the crude oil time shift. Uh, we have been delivering on our promises. Six consecutive quarters of uh, uh, distributions, best in class skill, uh, significant cash flow capacity, and track record of returning value to shareholders. Uh, we have the most modern and efficient uh, fleet amongst peers. We believe to be the best performer for the bottom line. Uh, we have a demonstrated focus on uh, governance and the track record of alignment of shareholders' interests. Uh, we come from a heritage of over 50 years in uh, shipping, combining the operational excellence of a Greek private uh, shipping company with a well-run and transparent uh, public platform. And finally, a recent US listing we hope will be a catalyst in uh, improving investor reach and uh, trading liquidity in our vision to become the platform of uh, choice amongst investors in the space. And with this, uh, I call, we conclude the presentation and we already see a few questions uh, popping up. Do we just read them in this one? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the first question, if you buy a tanker on the SDN list of OFAC, does it drop off the list? No, the, it's much worse. You've just interacted with an OFAC sanctioned entity, and I assume that the United States will also sanction you at some point. Um, so, no, you cannot buy tankers on the OFAC list whatsoever. Um, do you plan to keep your Suez maxes on the spot market? No, I think that today, you know, I think given what's our outlook on the market, asset values, better price, the potential, not there in our opinion. We still need a lot more to go before we think the price captures the next years ahead of us. But the Suez maxes are even more undervalued on the time charter. So, and generally the TC rates are. So no, um, our current interest isn't to time charter in vessels. There's always potential to do something short, like three to six months, but that reflects more like short-term trading opportunities rather than anything else. Um, the next one, do you plan to grow the fleet? I mean, look, I said this alluded to it uh, earlier. Uh, um, you know, given where asset values are, it's uh, it's tough to 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 source uh, opportunities that we consider creative. Uh, we would we would love the opportunity to be able to use the platform in a way to to pursue creative opportunities. But one, we wouldn't want to uh, jeopardize at all our capacity to 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 distribute dividends. Uh, and given given where where asset values are, it's just too tough to source anything. So uh, with that in mind, and the fact that we're quite comfortable in terms of uh, the size of our fleet, uh, we have no plans at all. Um, what's your dividend policy? Um, um, so we have been very vocal from day one. We want to distribute as much as possible to shareholders. Uh, there is no uh, formula per se that we use. But we hope that our track record speaks uh, for itself. Uh, as we talked about earlier, since we have had a fully delivered fleet, we have essentially paid out our entire uh, free cash flow. Uh, in terms of net income, you know, taking into account uh, our capital structure considerations, we have averaged approximately 9% of it.
does the company have any plans for new buildings? Um, I think he'd actually answered this earlier. The answer, the, the short answer is no. I don't, we don't think it's the right allocation of capital. Um, yeah. If we had to buy something, which I'm not implying we are, but I think that taking an asset that can deliver returns from today is a better use. Um, but as you know, Chris mentioned again, you know, I think we don't want to interrupt the ability for us to return dividends and the amount that we can return by using um, profits to buy ships at the moment. So how comfortable are you being 100% spot exposed? Um, and the TC rates. TC rates, they're too low still. And we're very comfortable. Uh, we're also comfortable being time chartered. In 2020, we had 80% TC coming out of 2020 after the um, the contango market. We got to do some nice time charters and lock in nice rates for what we felt would be the destocking period or part of it. Uh, and now we feel that there's tremendous upside, so we want the, the spot exposure as high as possible. Um, how many of your vessels have been diverted as of today? Three sewage maxes. And we've actually fixed one of our uh, VLCCs to do one of these co-loading two sewage max cargoes into Europe. The rumor about the cleaning up uh, sewage max to trade CPP, um, yeah, I heard it too. There are some Greeks who own a couple of clean uh, coated sewage maxes. I don't know if Frontline, which was the rumor company, owns LR3s. But like, like if it's an uncoated ship like our sewage maxes, you can't. Even if you clean it up, you'll still have sediments of crude inside. You'll have rust. It'll cause discoloration and affect the product that comes into the ship. Unless it's purely for like blending purposes, but I think it's almost very extremely unlikely that a non-clean LR3 can be cleaned up to carry clean products. Do you have any plans to opportunistically buy an additional second-hand tonnage? I think we've uh, we've covered that. Uh, how should we think about dividend distribution? And apologies, it's it's quite a few questions. We're just uh, trying to keep up. Um, how should we think about dividend distribution through 2024 and 2025? I mean, this goes along with uh, with uh, with what I explained earlier. We uh, we want to stay true to our promise. We will continue to 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 distribute as much as possible. Uh, we will continue to do the same assessment like we do uh, every quarter, which means uh, you know taking into account our capital structure, taking into account the visibility in terms of short and uh, medium term, and uh, just distribute as much out of that that we comfortable as possible. Hey, when rerouting the an existing charter on the Cable Good Hope, who pays for the extra days? And how is this arranged commercially? It all depends about your charter party and what kind of clauses you have. So there are war clauses. War clauses, depending on who's written it and like what amendments you made, give the captain or the company the right to divert to a safe passage when there's an unsafe passage. And then some clauses state that the, the expense will be covered by the charter, the owner. So it, it all depends. Um, 
we have good clauses in our charter parties, so we're protected. I think most of the questions are. Yeah, it's uh, different versions of uh, of questions we have already respond, responded to. Uh, George Berman, give an example of triangulation. Uh, so you fix a VLCC from US Gulf to India, and then you ballast to West Africa, which is shorter than the previous voyage. You fix West Africa to Europe, you ballast to the US Gulf, you go back to India. So like the percentage of laden versus ballast is uh, much higher. That's one simple example. Yeah. Um, for how long are interest rates on your debt locked or hedged? They, they're not hedged at the moment. Um, so we continue our efforts to decrease the, the interest cost with the other finance. Um, and we've covered this. How have uh, developments in the Red Sea affected insurance premiums? I mean, the premiums have gone up a lot. You know, it's gone up from being a non-existent expense to some, you know, three hundred to five hundred thousand, depending depending on how expensive you have your ship insured. Like this expense, uh, which is called and should be, you know, additional worst premium. It's a specific insurance you get when you go through war areas. In most cases, it's covered by the charter. And so you rebuild the cost to him or you factor it into your voyage expenses. And this insurance, as well as the insurance of the cargo, is what makes the trade around the Cape of Good Hope and more acceptable to the charters because, you know, it's obviously much cheaper to go from the Suez but once you add the cargo insurance, you add the additional worst premium insurance on the vessel, um, that's where they start to get a bit closer and it makes it feasible to trade around the Cape of Good Hope. Another thing that makes the trade around the Cape of Good Hope more difficult, and it'll create this dislocation, at least in the short term, is that refineries in Europe, they might be planning on buying, you know, crude with delivery 25 days away uh, from the Suez. Now all of a sudden this voyage become 40 days away, 45 days away. And they have this gap. So they're going to have to fill that gap. You know, that creates dislocations in the short run. And in the long run, it stretches the fleet doing these longer voyages. I know you love answering this one. I will leave that to you. Do you see possible expansion to other segments of the maritime industry containers or driver? Yeah, well, I mean, this, is, this goes to slide five, point five of our pitches and promises that, uh, I forgot what it was, but, um, no dilutive capabilities. Uh, yeah, that, you know, we've said we this is a crude tanker platform. Our intention is to distribute dividends and profits to shareholders. And it's a simple, clean structure. And that's what will continue to be. If we see an opportunity in dry bulk or containers, we would do it in a completely separate entity than Oceanis. And hopefully we could list it at some point and have, you know, our current investors and co-investors there. But there'd be no relation between the two companies uh, financially. Alternative fuels seem a long way off. What are our views? Uh, well, I guess like we're in the lowest rank of shipping um, 
the ability for shipping to pass on the expenses to the to the consumer to the receiver in our case you know in in car carriers it's much easier for Toyota or the big makers to to ask for cleaner fuels but for us you know we're delivering to 150 different receivers and refineries that don't have uh, such policies. So I think that's one thing that makes it more difficult straight away. Then we traded tram shipping. So before the war in Ukraine, you know, RVs were doing a lot of West Africa to China, West Africa to India. Now, after the war started, we're doing a lot of US Gulf to Rotterdam or Brazil to Rotterdam. This, you know, the fact that you don't have a fixed trading pattern makes it difficult to procure a bunker fuel that isn't very easy to find anyways. Um, so I think tankers will, and dry bulk, will take longer to react to a future fuel. And uh, I also think that these future fuels like ammonia and methanol are gonna become very expensive to use as bunker fuels. So I, I don't know how long and how much the world is willing to subsidize offshore use for ships. And, uh, and we'll have to compete with onshore use of these fuels as well. So I think for the time being, in our view, you know, very efficient crude tankers is our medium-term solution for uh, alternative fuels. Uh, we have some new buildings on the private side that we're considering installing carbon capture for. But um, yeah, so I, we don't have a definite view, but I think that very efficient fossil fuels are a good medium-term solution for tanker, for shipping. Mm. <clears throat> Why is your other crude tanker owners price over maybe better than other product tanker owners? I mean, we have, I've, I've noticed a couple of uh, research analysts uh, listening on this call. Maybe it's, maybe it's a better question for them, but you know, there's obviously a link between and a balancing between uh, you know, the quality of the fleets and, 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 and the levels of uh, asset values along with, uh, uh, you know, the, the expectation in terms of future earnings, dividend capacity, etc. I don't think I can give you better No, I mean, look, I think the current strength in the clean market, it's brought up their pricing very nicely. So they're trading closer to where some of the top crude thinkers are trading as well. And I think everything else has been basically asked and answered. Yeah, we agree. Signos is a beautiful island, and so are all the other islands that our ships are named after. A few, a few that have been sold as well. Yeah. Uh, listen, we have we have been trying to uh, to combine a few of the questions we've seen. If there's anything that we've missed, please feel free to reach out uh, directly to. The IRE, uh, which is uh, posted on our press releases and website, or through uh, Nicholas and team through Capital Link, would be happy, happy to connect. Uh, I don't see anything else coming through. Yeah, Nicola, um, I think we should cover most of it. Well, that was a very uh, interesting and detailed presentation, great attendance, and you got an avalanche of, of questions. So thank you very, very much, first of all, to all of the participants.
and of course to Aristides and Heracles for um, your presentation. Again, thank you to everybody for taking the time to be with us. As a reminder, uh, this webinar will soon be available uh, for replay, for access upon demand, and it will be available on CapitalLink's website at uh, capitallinkwebinars.com and also on our YouTube uh, channel, on CapitalLink's YouTube uh, channel. So thank you to everybody, and uh, I wish everybody a wonderful weekend. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much.